Matthew chapter 27, and beginning in verse 1, I'm going to start my reading there. When the morning was come, excuse me, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. I was telling the Sunday school class this morning that I just miss uh, being in the Gospels and preaching Jesus. We, we haven't been in the Gospels for quite a while, uh, and I miss it. I've been reading them at home, and I want this church to be a Christ-centered church. And then the Lord put this message on my heart, so we're back in the Gospels at least for one Sunday morning here in verse 20, uh, chapter 27, verse 2. And when they had bound him... They led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. They thought it would contaminate you know, the temple, this blood money. It would pollute the temple. Religious hypocrites. They were already contaminated and polluted for rejecting the Messiah. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. For just a few moments this morning, I want to preach on a phrase found in verse 4. The innocent blood. I want to preach on... The innocent blood. Let's have a word of prayer and ask for God's help. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads and our hearts before you today, uh, we bow our heads as sinners. God, um, many of us sinners saved by grace. There may be one here who's a sinner who's outside of the grace of God and never accepted Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I pray that today would be the salvation for any lost soul among us. Lord, you know the hearts. God, I pray for the soul of our country. God, I pray that you'd have mercy upon this land. Lord, uh, we're looking at judgment in this land, and I pray before judgment, God, that as a God of mercy, and I pray that you'd do what you've done so many times before in dealing with nations, that you would send a revival to your people. Judgment begins at the house of God. Lord, and I pray that you'd help us, that you'd stir up our hearts, grant us repentance, humility before you. God, stir up our hearts to love the things that you love. God, to get our faces turned toward you once again. I pray that you'd, God, that you'd bring us a spirit of revival that the winds of heaven would blow. God, that you would come down and 
be pleased to dwell with us, to be in our midst today with your special presence, that your Holy Spirit would do his office work. And God, help us to be submissive as you speak to our hearts from your word. And Lord, help us to, your sleepy people, help us to awaken to righteousness, to sin not, for some have not the knowledge of Christ. And that's spoken to our shame. God, help us to humble ourselves in sackcloth and ashes, to humble ourselves, to remember the innocent blood, the price that was paid for our salvation, not to trample over the blood with disobedient lives, but to to lift up the blood-stained banner of the cross. That's what this country needs, Lord. Pray that you'd help us to do it. Stir up our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The innocent blood. Judas knew that Jesus' blood was innocent. He said it there, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. He knew this because, first of all, he knew this because of Jesus' virtuous behavior. His virtuous behavior. Judas had spent three and a half years with Jesus, traveling with Jesus. He was with him. He saw everything. He saw when they got up in the morning. He saw what Jesus did throughout the day. He saw the healing, the good that he did, his compassion toward his people, his love for sinners. He saw that he would sit down and eat a meal with the publicans and the sinners and those religious hypocrites, those Pharisees would come in looking down their long noses and judge Jesus and criticize him and call him a a wine-bibber and a glutton. And uh, Jesus just patiently took it. And and any time anybody tried to argue with Jesus, uh, they'd always lose their shirt. You know, you never get in an argument with Jesus and think that you're going to win it. Every time, every time he'd shut their mouths. But he saw this just as he patiently went about and powerfully went about serving his father and doing the works of his father. He he saw that he was a virtuous person. He was a a good person, a pure person like no other man he's ever seen in in his life. And And he saw at the end of the day what Jesus would do and that he would serve and heal late into the hours of the, of the evening oftentimes and, and then pray and, and go to bed late or sometimes go up onto a mountain and pray all night long. Uh, Judas was with Jesus and he knew about his virtuous behavior. He was with him for three and a half years. It, Jesus never lost his temper, never said an unkind word. He never said an improper word or an impure word. He heard Jesus speak. He saw what Jesus did. He knew that his behavior was virtuous. He knew that he was a good person. That's why he knew that his blood was innocent blood. You see, Judas had decided for whatever reason to betray Jesus Christ. Because Jesus wasn't going to do what Judas wanted him to do. Judas thought that Jesus was the Messiah and he was going to be a great military leader to lead a revolt against Rome. Judas had his eye on on earthly things rather than heavenly spiritual things. He loved the things of the world. 
He was a carnal man. And when he saw that Jesus was not going to do this, he thought, maybe if I betray Jesus, this is what I, I think, and I'm not the only one, maybe if I betray Jesus into the hands of the Jews, that will sort of, sort of force Jesus' hand, and he will have to then lead this revolt that Judas wanted, and the rest of the zealots in the land wanted. They were oppressed by a, a, a government more powerful than they. And so he, he saw all of this, his virtuous behavior and everything, and Judas knew that Jesus' blood was innocent. When was the last time that you heard a sermon on the blood? When was the last time that you heard a sermon just on the blood of Jesus Christ? I can't remember the last time that I have. I mean, just... just a sermon on the blood. Preachers used to preach the blood. I was listening to an old-fashioned gospel preacher, and he, he said that he'd go into churches and he'd preach on the blood, and people would come up to him and say, I've been going to church for 20 years. And in 20 years, I can't think of one time when a preacher came in and just preached on the blood. And they said, would you come to our church and preach on the blood at our church? The blood of Jesus Christ. In this chapter, it's mentioned six times. The Holy Spirit's trying to teach us something about the importance of the blood Amen. for our salvation, for the atonement. He's going to teach us something. And the disciples, they're not going to get it right away. They're not going to understand it. We're studying that in the book of Acts. They didn't understand the atonement and the blood and its part and cleansing us from our sins. It took the Holy Spirit revealing that to them progressively in the book of Acts. But Judas knew something about his blood. He knew that it was innocent blood. He knew that by handing Jesus over to the Jews at the price of 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a female slave in the Old Testament, that by doing this, he had betrayed Jesus. And what he saw is he saw that he had betrayed Jesus and it went farther than what he wanted it to go. And so he felt, now I've gotten him in trouble and he is innocent. He's never done anything wrong. And he would know, I guess. He was innocent. Innocent blood. His virtuous behavior. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. We try to drill that into the... Uh, minds of children. There's only one person who's ever walked the face of this earth that has never sinned, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Amen. Think of that for just a moment, because you and I, we sin daily in thought, in word, in deed. We sin and in in, in we commit sins in the things that we do. And we commit sins in the things that we don't do. Things that we should do, but we don't do. So there's sins of commission, sins of omission. We sin hourly against the Lord. Imagine if you could, from the time that you know the difference between good and evil, and you know what you're doing, and you know good and well it's wrong, and your conscience tells you it's wrong. Imagine if you could count up just every hour of your life, from that moment to the end of your life, say you live to be 70. Imagine how much sin that is. 
The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you were to stand before God and it was your time to come before His throne for judgment, do you think you'd be innocent or guilty? I know what would happen. If you die outside of the grace of God and you stand before Him, it would be a guilty verdict. You're not good enough to make it past that judgment. It'd be guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And what do you think would happen? Do you think you'd go to heaven? Or do you think you'd go to hell if you're guilty? Some people say, well, I don't know. I'm not that bad. You just don't understand. The Holy Spirit hasn't revealed to you your sin and your guilt and your great need of this virtuous Savior. You see, He lived the life that we can't live. He lived a perfect life. (laughs) He never sinned. So that His perfect, righteous life fulfilled the law for us. And when we get saved, that righteous life is put on our account. It's imputed to us. It's charged to us. You ever hear somebody slander another person, maybe on Facebook or you read it in the uh, New York Times or something like that or the Washington Post, and they're, they're, they're slandering somebody. They're imputing to them this that they've done wrong and this thing that they said and that that they... They're imputing to them things that they've done wrong. You understand right now that your sins are imputed to you. You're charged with guilt for sin. But when you get saved, there's a great swap that happens. Jesus Christ will take your sins and He will give you His perfect righteousness. It'll be that virtuous behavior. That virtuous life will be put on your account. That's what God does at salvation. He tells us that. It says that He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You can be made the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Jesus Christ. His virtuous behavior. So I ask you again, if you were to stand before God in judgment, do you think you'd be innocent? Or do you think you'd be guilty? And we'd all have to admit. But listen... God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't expect us to try to live a virtuous life and earn salvation. We can't do it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. He lived the life that we couldn't live with His virtuous behavior. I think Judas saw that his blood was innocent blood, secondly, because of his virgin birth. His virgin birth. Verse 4, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Jesus' virgin birth is the only way that his blood could be innocent. Now, some of these things we all know, okay? I I understand that. He had no earthly father, right? Jesus was virgin born. He didn't have an earthly father. (laughs) He had a a heavenly father. Joseph was his stepdad. So if any of you have a stepdad, you can feel good in knowing Jesus had a stepdad. And it can work out, amen? (laughs) 
He didn't have an earthly father. You see, we know this. This is common knowledge. You take biology class or something like that. Your blood comes from your daddy, right? Everything else, bones, flesh, all that stuff comes from your mama. But your blood doesn't come from your mama. Your blood comes from your daddy, right? Jesus had innocent blood because he didn't have an earthly father. You see, when we look back at where sin came from and and the resulting depravity of man and the corruption of human nature and uh, everything that has happened as a result, we look all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Which, by the way, if you want to see a great video that proves that that Adam did indeed exist, go on Answers in Genesis and look for that video. They've they've got new uh, science on this stuff, and it's very interesting. Now, I know Adam exists because I'm saved, and I believe the Bible. Amen. Amen. But there's interesting things that they're finding out. And uh, we go all the way back there by one man, Adam. Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so that death passed upon all men through one man, Adam. After Adam sinned, his blood was tainted with sin and corrupted. And so that every child that is born of man is born with, listen to it, bad blood. You know what's wrong with us? We got corrupt blood. Our blood is tainted with sin. There's a blood problem. With the human race. So you need a blood transfusion. And I'll tell you what. Jesus had innocent blood because he didn't have an earthly father. His father was in heaven. Now you have corrupt blood because you do have an earthly father. Our blood isn't innocent. But the blood of Jesus... He says here, I have betrayed the, you see it there, that article, the innocent blood. That means there's only one, the innocent blood. There's only one and it's not you and it's not me. We're not innocent. We're guilty before God. The innocent blood is the blood of Jesus Christ, that his was like no other blood. And as a matter of fact, his blood was God's blood. His blood was God's blood. Would you look for just a moment at Acts chapter 20? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So turn over four books to the right. You're in Matthew, hang a right, go to the book of Acts chapter 20. That's the big number. Book, chapter, and verse. The book is Acts. The chapter is 20. The little number is the verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Now, here's a verse that will mess up the Jehovah's Witnesses and mess up the Muslims, right here. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. It says here, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God. That's the job of a pastor is to feed God's people. Feed them with the word. Look, the church of God, which he hath 
purchased with his own blood. You see that? (laughs) The word he, that's a pronoun. Pronouns have antecedents that they belong to. So who does he refer to? If you look back before that word he, you see it? God. God. It's God's blood. That's the price of your salvation. God's blood. Well, that messes up the Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they don't believe that Jesus is God. A Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, you say, I want to talk about one thing. Jesus is God. And if you don't repent, you're going to die lost without second chance. You'll die in your sins. He is God. You'll stand before Him in judgment. And it's God's blood. That's why His blood is virtuous. And that's why it's the only innocent blood. If you'll look with me at Hebrews chapter 9. If you can turn there, go ahead and turn there. If not, just listen. Hebrews chapter 9. Listen, only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse and clear your conscience. There's only one thing that can clear a man's conscience. Now, I was a man uh, for 18 years, and then I did a little bit more living after that, before I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know what I'm talking about. I had a lot of things, you know, uh, things you keep in the closet, so to speak. You have a past. If you do any living in this life, a man has a past. Has things that you've done, things that you're not proud of, mistakes that you made. A lot of lustful, low, lousy living behind you. And and when I heard the gospel, and my brother told me, you think you're a pretty good person, and I know that the family looks at you and they think you're a little angel, but I know you. <laughs> and he said, you're not going to make it past that judgment. You're going to be condemned. You're going to be cast out into the lake of fire. You have to get saved now, he told me. Get saved now if you can, if you can tell that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. And I was, oh boy, was the Holy Spirit dealing with me, man. I felt convicted. I felt out of bad conscience because of things that I had done. And uh, there's only one thing that can clear a young man's conscience, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, you see, without spot, innocent blood, purge your conscience to cleanse, remove, Cancel the guilt of any uh, guilt or moral defilement, defilement. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I was under the impression, I guess, that if I just, you know, lived a pretty decent life and uh, didn't do anything seriously wrong that I would go to heaven. Those are dead works. 
The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you of all moral defilement. Back in, back in, Acts chapter, or back in Matthew chapter 27, only the blood of Christ is innocent blood. And here today, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. Jesus Christ, because of His virgin birth, listen, He, he, was, he was born... He was born once so that you could be what? He was born once so that you could be born again. He lived the perfect life that that you cannot live and I cannot live. And he He was born once so that you could be born again. You must be born again through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Believing the gospel. Accepting Him as your personal Savior. And you can be born again by faith in Christ alone and the only innocent blood. You understand that the only thing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Right? We know that. Thank God for that hymn, by the way. Thank God for that hymn. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I'm thankful that we have three kids up here and we've got a couple over here and scattered throughout there. And you know what, folks? Those kids like those hymns. They do. And they memorized them. Somebody said I was watching Lily over here singing, and she said she sang that whole song, and she can't read. But she sang every word because she's got it memorized. So we get tired of hearing them over and over again, but we've got to teach them to a new generation. Amen. And we've got to teach them. What can wash away my sin? Listen, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And he can, he'll cancel out all your sin. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. You're not as bad as the Apostle Paul. He was a great example. He said, God set him forth to be an example of all the church of God's long-suffering and mercy. Paul was a bad dude. He killed Christians for a living. Uh, have you done that? No, you ain't been that bad. But uh, it don't, I don't care what you've done. God forgave him and made him one of the greatest Christian evangelists that this world has ever seen. He can save you Amen. through his virgin birth and his innocent blood and lastly his villainous betrayal i got a little bit clever with my outline this time but i was enjoying it especially when i figured out that word villainous and it just it's it fits it works his villainous betrayal let me tell you why judas knew that jesus's blood was innocent because he knew in his own heart i have been such a villain I have been so wicked to betray the innocent blood. Judas's intentions, you know, as I said, were probably to force Jesus's hand. And so what he did is uh, he had betrayed Jesus into the hands of the Jews. Back, back in verse 1, when the morning was come, they had an illegal trial overnight and the Jews had been, uh, been uh, trying to get Jesus charged with some false charges there with the Sanhedrin overnight, and that was illegal to do. But that next morning when Judas saw him come out of there and that he was bound and he heard that the council was going to put him to death. And in verse 2, when he saw that Jesus was delivered to Pontius Pilate, Judas said, oh no, it's gone too far. It went farther than what I thought it would go. And, and his intentions may not have been to do that. We don't know that exactly. But he was a villainous betrayer. 
And he said, I am wicked. I am wrong. He is innocent. He doesn't deserve to be put to death. He doesn't deserve this. And then he he had obvious regret, Judas did. In verse 3, Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. Now that's not gospel repentance and faith. It's something that falls short of that. He repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of the silver to the chief priests and the elders. And he said, I've betrayed innocent blood. And they say, that means nothing to us. And so he just ran out of there just horrified by what he'd done. And he threw the silver down and he went out. But it says that he repented himself. That was obvious regret, but the wording is not the same as gospel repentance. It meant that he regretted it. He, he was sorry for what he had done. He was sorry that it went that far, but it wasn't a true confession of faith. It was just remorse and regret. Because then after that he went out and it says that he hung himself. In verse 5, he went out to the edge of the city of Jerusalem to a cliff overlooking Gehenna, the field of blood. And he hung himself in a tree. And later on, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a a great earthquake, a great shaking. And when the earth shook, his, his, his noose and the branch broke loose and, and Judas fell down to that rocky, rocky valley and his body burst asunder and his guts just burst out everywhere. This was not gospel repentance. This was just remorse and sorrow for what he did. You say, what's the difference? Here's the difference. A man's unfaithful to his wife. Ruins his marriage. He blows it. He's a failure as a husband. Has a failed marriage. He spends the rest of his life hugging up to a bar somewhere, warming a bar stool, drinking beer, regretting what he did. He knows it's wrong. But listen, that's, that's sorrow, that's remorse. That's not the same as gospel repentance. Same could be said of a woman, by the way. That's not gospel repentance, you understand. Gospel repentance is where you say, I have sinned. And I realize that it's wrong. So I was going this way, going my own way, doing my own thing. And I've sinned and I I feel the guilt of it. And I do feel sorry for it. But I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to agree with God that it's wrong. I'm going to agree with God that I'm in trouble. And then I'm going to get down on my knees and pray and cry out to God and ask for mercy and ask for forgiveness for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ to save my wicked soul. And then I'm going to go to my wife that I betrayed, that I wronged. And I'm going to try if I can. I'm going to apologize and I'm going to say if there's any way that you could forgive me of this. If there's any way that we could patch this up. But either way, I want to tell you that I know what I did was wrong. God showed it to me. It was wrong, 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 wrong. And if there were kids involved, you apologize to the kids. What daddy did was wrong. Daddy was a failure as a husband, failure as a daddy. It was wrong. God showed me that. 
And I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm going to try to do the best I can now to live for Him. That's gospel repentance. The other, going and hugging a bar stool, warming a bar stool, that's just sorrow and regret. That's like going and hanging yourself. That's just a slow suicide. Judas got it done a little bit quicker. They're two different things. But it doesn't matter what you've done, what kind of villain you've been, you can come and you can trust in that innocent blood. Judas regretted his decision. He wanted to change his mind, right? He went back and he had the money. He wanted to change his mind. They wouldn't let him do it. So he threw that money down. He said, that's blood money. He wanted to change his mind, but you can't get that off your hands. That guilt. You can't get rid of it by just trying to throw it away. And anyhow, it was too late for him to change his mind. After he got up in that tree, hung himself that rope, it was too late. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people and they want to change their mind. That's what repentance is, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. They want to change their mind and God gives them the opportunity to do it. Gives them the opportunity and they know it. They're confronted with it. But for some reason or another, they just decide they're not now. Not now. I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow, right? I love that old gospel song. Do you know how it feels to know something's missing? To hear a still small voice that you just keep dismissing? Do you know how it feels when all you surrender and have your sins washed away? And, and it, the song talks about, you know how it feels to put your head down on your pillow at night and know that everything between you and God is okay. That you're right with God. Do you know how it feels? But there's some people, they just keep dismissing that still small voice. But listen, there'll come a day when it's too late. You'll want to change your mind, but it's too late. Tomorrow, as somebody has said, is the devil's day. Today is God's day of salvation. Will you look with me at just one verse and we'll close. Ephesians chapter 1. Today is the day of salvation. For Judas, it was too late. But it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. And it's not too late for you to tell somebody else. Somebody that you might see at a 4th of July picnic or parade. Family gathering. It's not too late for them if they're living and breathing. And you can tell them there's nothing that you've ever done in your life that God will not forgive. God wants more to forgive you than you do to repent and confess your sins. It's not too late for some people that we know. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. How do you come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ? Let me show you. Let me show you from the man that God gave all this... Bible learning too, and, and he gave it to the church. Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That means we're supposed to follow his doctrine. 
and his, do, and his uh, practice. Verse 13, In whom ye also trusted, from verse 12, trusted in Christ, ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Right? First thing you need to do is to hear the gospel of your salvation. I just told you today that God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died on that cross because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He died, and if there was one sin that He couldn't pay for, He never could have come up from that grave, but He paid it all in full. He finished the work of salvation on the cross. He said, it is finished. He died under the guilt of and penalty of God for sin, and he was buried and he rose again the third day, proving that God accepted his sacrifice. And all who come to him by faith, with a childlike faith saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake, they can be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You heard the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. So you believe it. You believe not only that Jesus Christ died for sins, but He died for my sins. And I must personally accept Him as my Savior. And I'm trusting in Him alone. As it says in Ephesians, it says, For by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. You can't work yourself into heaven. You can't, friend. You can't. Not of works. You're not good enough. You have to trust in one who had innocent blood and trust in his perfect life and what he did for you. He'll change your life. You believed, not trusting in your own works, but trusting in Christ alone. When that happened, you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Do you understand what that means? Sealed. That means that's the moment you were born again. The Holy Spirit, listen, he comes into your body to take up residence. He gives new life to your spirit. He baptizes you and places you into the body of Jesus Christ. Romans 6. All of this happens the moment you're saved. You see, a lot of things happen when you get saved that you're not aware of. And then He seals you. Everything's sealed. Like a jar of strawberry preserves is sealed. Like when you can vegetables, they're sealed. You're sealed. The sin of your flesh cannot contaminate your soul sealed. The deal is done. When does that happen? When you hear the gospel and believe. You come into contact with the innocent blood of Jesus Christ. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. God might be giving you a chance right now to, to come and to be saved. Repent of your sin and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Our, our, our behavior is sinful. It's not virtuous like Jesus. Our birth, we were born in a long line of sinners. Not virgin like Jesus. And, and we are betrayers and villainous in our conduct against Jesus Christ. What are you going to do about it? It's not enough just to regret your sins, but you must use gospel repentance followed by faith in Jesus Christ.
Because as we bow our heads before God, the awful truth is we're all guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. It was our sins that took Him there to that cross. That's the reason He went. So we have to trust in Him in order to be forgiven. Have you done that? Have you done that? If you haven't, I want to invite you to come ahead at this time. If God's got His finger on you, I want to invite you to come. Somebody will come up here and pray with you and help you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you haven't done that, you're not saved. Would you allow me just to plead with you just just another moment before we pray? I know people in my family, listen, I know people in my family who were baptized when they were young, confirmed, catechized, all that stuff, and they're not saved. They believe the facts of the gospel, but it hasn't gotten from their head to their heart. Listen, would you just allow me to plead with your heart? My best friend, I would witness to him for a long time, and he would say, I believe in Jesus. My mom would take me to church. I believe the Bible. I believe all that stuff. And I'd say, you need to get saved. He'd say, I believe. I've read the New Testament. And he realized when he went to church and started hearing the Bible just recently, he realized he wasn't saved and he got saved. Then he and his wife were baptized and they joined the church. And he told me, I wasn't saved before. You see, it's the gospel of salvation, hearing it and responding with faith. It changes your life. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this message. Help us, Lord. We know people that are still guilty of that innocent blood that have never squared with you and gotten things right. And God, we're going to be around them. Help us to love them in compassion and just to be a light and a witness to them. Help us to speak up if you'd have us to speak. Help us just to do what you'd have us to do. Help us to invite people to come to church so that they can hear the gospel and be saved. 